Welcome to Literary Friction. I'm Octavia Bright, coming to you from quarantine in London, about 60 miles away from my beloved co-host, Ms. Carrie Plitt. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Octavia. How are you doing in these weird, uncertain times? I'm doing okay. Like everyone else, I've been very up and down, but I'm feeling, first of all, very grateful for friends and being able to see and hear them digitally. I'm feeling very grateful for my daily runs. I went on a run today in Oxford along the river and it was so glorious and the sun was out and there was mist rising from the river and I almost started crying from the beauty of it, which I think oh shows my, my, my current mental state. <laughs> no, <that's not> <laughs> but I'm, I'm also just really grateful that we can keep recording this podcast even in such uncertain times. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm okay. It's just weird not being able to look at you we're doing this I'm like it feels it feels strange but no I'm okay I'm a little on edge um and really grateful for the sunshine um and yeah same actually just really glad we're still doing this even though we're all in confinement honestly for the sake of my own sanity as well as, as much as for anything else because I think little bits of normality feel super important at the moment don't they yeah they really do and we want to keep bringing you literary friction like we always do you might have to bear with us on the sound quality front. We are not quite in our closets, but it's all pretty makeshift. And I know you have neighbors upstairs, Octavia. I, I have do. a very loud church bell across the street. <laughs> <laughs> we, I think you're so much better set up for this quarantine idyll than me in the city, honestly. Like the thought of a, a misty run along a, a waterway sounds incredible. I, I go for walks in my local streets and there's just like a lot of very anxious people clutching shopping bags crossing the road to try and avoid each other. And for some reason, dog shit everywhere because people seem to have just thought, oh, I don't need to pick up after my dog. The world is ending. Oh um, God, it's all going to shit. I know, you. and empty supermarkets. Yeah, no, but the sun is great and the blossom, oh my God, the blossom and all the magnolias in people's gardens. I'm very grateful for for the British and their gardening fetish at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm even getting into gardening, which is really a sign of the apocalypse. Who the but... fuck are you? I don't recognize you. <laughs> um, but anyway, we're going to figure it out. We've we've found a way to both record from our houses and, and we're really excited about it. So whether you are new to the show or an old hand, welcome. Thank you for tuning into Larry Friction. The format for these mini-sodes between full shows is for the next half hour or so, we're going to have an informal conversation about something book-related and anything else that might come up, and then recommend some other cultural things that we've enjoyed lately with the usual musical interludes chosen by Eddie. That's right. And we'd also like to say a massive thank you to all of you for buying our tote bags. We've sold out <laughs> and um, the money we raised has made it possible to buy some equipment so that we can keep doing this from home for as long as the isolation rules are in place. So you really are the best and we absolutely love you. We do. <laughs> we do. We do. But for now, back to the mini-sode, which you maybe won't be surprised to learn is about quarantine. We want to bring you some escapism, but we also want, maybe even need, to talk about what's going on right now. That doesn't mean it's going to be gloomy, but we're also not going to pretend that we aren't in the midst of a global emergency and confined to our houses. So, <laughs> so stay with us for the usual recommendations and maybe even a description of Octavia's incredibly phallic home microphone, which I saw over video and... Yeah, you have to see it to believe it, people. It's quite a treat. I will I will post some photos of it later if uh, all being well, <laughs> if it doesn't squirt in my face. Gross. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. This episode is sponsored by Picador, and we wanted to talk about some of Picador's books that would be the perfect escape whilst staying at home. 
Yes, in these very inside-oriented times, reading can offer a wonderful chance to escape the four walls you might have been staring at for quite some time by this point. And luckily, Picador can help you out with that because they have some great escapist literature on offer, don't they, Carrie? They absolutely do. If you're looking to escape into a world of magic and the fantastical, you would be well advised to try anything by Granta best young British novelist Helen Oyeyemi. Her work is thrillingly inventive, and her most recent novel, Gingerbread, has just been published in paperback. It is a bewitching fairy tale like story about motherhood, family legacy, and indeed gingerbread, and is the perfect thing if you'd like to be swept away by the current of an author's extraordinary imagination. That sounds brilliant and also actually makes me hungry for gingerbread. Um, If you're after something that you can dip in and out of in between whatever working from home tech disaster is driving you nuts, then Olivia Lang, author of Crudo and the Lonely City, has a new collection of essays out called Funny Weather, Art in an Emergency. Funny Weather brings together a career's worth of writing about art and culture in which Lang makes the case for art as a force of resistance and repair and celebrates it as an antidote to frightening times. So it sounds very precious. If you'd like to know how art can help you in this time of crisis, then there can be no better guide. Funny Weather is out in April. Wow, that sounds eerily and incredibly timely. I know. I mean, I wonder if she orchestrated the whole thing as an epic publicity stunt. Maybe we should ask her. No, I'm too terrible joke. Really (laughs) crap joke. Sorry. (laughs) Um, But I do think it's exciting to think about, you know, the great art that might come out of this period of our lives. What do you think? Yeah, it's a good silver lining to hold on to. Hello, welcome back to Literary Friction, Minisode 12, Literature in Quarantine, or maybe even Literature and Quarantine. Carrie and I are back, along with my incredibly phallic mic. It is so very full and turgid, it's quite distracting. I'm sorry, it's just this huge (laughs) thing in front of my face. Um, Anyway, we're coming to you from Oxford and London via the power of our good lord and master, the internet, who we have never relied upon quite so much as now, I think you'll all agree. And as Carrie said, today we want to talk about literature and quarantine. Technically, reading is an easy escape, but actually these anxious conditions are not always conducive to sitting and focusing with a book or anything in particular. Um, Writer and all-round good egg Jennifer Hodgson, who we had on the show a couple of years ago talking about editing Anne Quinn's work, tweeted a really brilliant thought from the psychotherapist and writer Adam Phillips about the need to feel safe in order to get absorbed in something that I thought was so prescient and kind of bang on for right now. And in it, he says, in order to be absorbed, one has to feel sufficiently safe, as though there is some shield or somebody guarding you against dangers such that you can forget yourself and absorb yourself in a book, say, or for the child in a game. It must be one of the precursors of reading, I suppose. And I don't know, it feels so spot on, you know, like when you think about the ideal conditions for getting lost in a story of any kind, be it, you know, fictional narrative or non-fictional narrative, you want to have your back against the wall, don't you? You want to feel like there's nothing creeping up behind you and you can get into that kind of flow state or meditative state where you can give yourself over to something. And I actually think that the conditions right now are not ideal for reading for a lot of people. 
so sure, we're all spending a lot more time cooped up at home and we've got to find things to distract ourselves. But the conditions for that kind of distraction, you know, as Adam Phillips said, often they need to be safety. And that's just, it's kind of impossible to feel safe in the world at the moment. So, yeah, I mean, we want to talk about books. We want to talk about reading in this time of being, as all the podcasts I listen to seem to call it at the moment, alone together. But I think that also means talking about not being able to read books. Um, so I wonder what you think about that, Carrie. How are you finding reading at the moment? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I like how you set that up too. Like a lot of book people, I made really big reading plans when it became clear that I was going to be spending the foreseeable future in my house. I, as you probably know, find it very comforting to make lists and ambitious plans for myself in times of stress. So of course, I immediately made a huge list of all the books I was going to read, the meals I was going to cook, the exercise I was going to do. But honestly, I've I have been finding it difficult to read. I'm so distracted right now. I really, you know, I keep picking up books and then putting them down and just scrolling through news. And I imagine that's what's happening to a lot of people right now. So it's been, it's been tough. And the thing that I thought was going to be a huge comfort for me, you know, has been a little bit more complicated. That being said, the good news is I think I finally found a book that is really occupying me and giving me great comfort and joy right now, um, which is a novel called Euphoria by Lily King. I'm about 100 pages in and I'm really, really enjoying it. It's about a love triangle between anthropologists in New Guinea in the 30s. And the writing wow. is so, yeah, it's it's not maybe something I would have picked up myself, but the other happy thing about reading this book is that it is part of a digital book club that I, I've i created along with a bunch of other publishing people from all around the world, and we're all going to meet up and talk about it. So yeah, it's it's been a joy to read, and it's also been a joy to know that this like very lush, penetrating, wonderful novel is something I can discuss with, with my friends um, in a digital space. Yeah, that's really wonderful. And also because probably for the first time in all of our lives, we're having exactly the same experience as our friends around the world, you know? I mean, I don't think, yeah. I think that's what's so extraordinary about this moment. Uh, you know, I've been communicating with friends in Australia, America, France, Germany, like, and we're all just in the same boat. <laughs> so reading yeah. the same book and talking about it from the same condition must be really comforting. I think so. I mean, and the thing is, I haven't been reading that much, but it still has been very comforting for me to be talking about books with yeah. other people, if that makes sense. Totally. And and I've been ordering all of these books from my local bookshop and, of course, not reading them, but it's nice that they arrived and they're sort of sitting on my desk waiting for me to read. And also the other day, I alphabetized my books, which was Again, incredible! It was like this very, very satisfying task that I was really glad to have done, and makes me feel that they're all in the room with me here, where I'm recording and where I've been working, and that was an incredibly comfortable, wonderful thing. So my life is still filled with books, just maybe a little bit less reading at the moment. How yeah. about you? <clears throat> I think the same, and actually, it really makes me laugh that you've spent time organizing your books because I've been doing something really similar, but unsurprisingly, in quite a different way. <laughs> um, for me, it's been unpacking boxes because John and I moved into a flat together just before I went away to Australia a few weeks ago and managed to get back in just before the quarantine measures kind of came in in a more intense way. Um, and we just moved in before I left. So I left and there were still lots of boxes. And when I couldn't 
concentrate on reading a work a couple of days ago. I just started unpacking more of these and two of these boxes were, were all of his books. And I got so excited because it's got a load of things I want to read and also a load of things that I think I want to read from his philosophy undergraduate degree a long time ago, but I probably won't like huge tomes of Hegel. (laughs) But I like the thought that I might get to them one day. Um, (laughs) But mainly, honestly, it was just really soothing to be organizing the books without any obligation to actually read them. Um, And like you said, like the feeling of being surrounded by books and that there's loads of potential there, but it was totally okay that I wasn't up to the challenge right away. And I felt very able to kind of let myself off the hook. But I, I'm also interested that you keep your books alphabetized because mine, uh, I organize mine totally differently by basically mood or theme. Um, and then, so they're in sort of little collections, I guess. And then I have a couple of shelves that are just things to read so that they're all together because otherwise they slip through the cracks. Um, and then of course, they're just the, insane piles of ones that are too big to fit any of the shelves which is another uh collection point yeah well this is this is new for me I've literally never organized my books in any way did it feel liberating do you feel like you're going to keep them alphabetized I think so I so I I I did split them into poetry fiction and nonfiction, so they are sort of categorized a little bit um, and I think it's a lot easier to just find things, which was always the problem that I had, which is like a book could be anywhere on any shelf in any place. Yeah. And I like and and the way that, well, we joke that my brain is a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet and yours is like some kind of cool design program. But um, <laughs> mine is just mine is paint, Carrie. Let's not <laughs> let's not upgrade me. Mine is like your bog standard Microsoft Paint from the nineties. <laughs> no, of course not. You're like InDesign or something. I don't oh know. God, no way. Um, but yeah, I think the way my brain works, if I tried to organize things by mood or theme, I would instantly forget how I'd organize things by mood or theme, and I would never be able to find things anyway. So. It kind of works for me. I liked yeah. it. It was fun. And it was just nice. What was so great about the process was taking every book that I own and being forced to acknowledge it because I had to think about who, what the author's name was and how to reorganize it. And it was just, yeah. it, I felt like it was getting back into, again, I'm, I've am i obviously just turned like really hippy-dippy and spiritual in, in this moment of crisis. But I, I really felt like I was getting back in touch with the things I had read and wanted to read yeah it it was a wonderful day of connection with with reading and books yeah I think it's wonderful I think it's brilliant like that my organizational stuff also works on the fact that I have quite a visual memory so I can usually picture where something is so like I've got mine organized books about the body books about a, a particular idea maybe or if I wrote an essay then all the books around that essay you know so it's kind of like that and I can sometimes picture where they are but it as as the number of books swells especially now that we've got all of John's books here as well I think that's going to go completely out the window (laughs) but I love that idea that yeah getting physically in touch with the objects reminds you of aspirations you had of reading the book or ideas you had when reading the book it's really yeah I think it's a really meditative process that people can go through if they fancy it but I also love that you write lists to de-stress. I find lists often increase my stress exponentially. Exponentially. <laughs> I can't say the word. Exponentially. Wow. But I think I may be doing it wrong. Apparently, it's not good to put things you want to do next year on your daily list. <laughs> no. <laughs> I basically always end up having very expansive lists that 
I never feel like I've achieved anything on them. So I, they just, I beat myself up about them at the end of the day. Yeah. I think the trick with lists is, well, to make them manageable, but also to be very um, forgiving of yourself. Because I never, ever do everything that I want to do in the day. Yeah. But I, I consider it a, a, a victory if I've done 75%. That's great to know. That's really good to know because I, yeah, I beat myself up all the sodding time. But when it comes to reading um, lately, I have cut myself a lot of slack as well. And similarly, my concentration has been pretty short and same. I've been just scrolling mindlessly, um, watching the kind of developing news. And it's really detrimental, actually, I think, because you're basically reading all the time. But what you're reading is stress inducing and um, and you're reading on a screen if you're doing that as well. And I think there's something really powerful to be said for just taking some time away from screens at the moment, if it, you know, forcing yourself away from them, if at all possible, because it clicks your brain into a different gear. Um, Definitely. But yeah, like I said, just before all the virus stuff got intense, I was in Australia visiting my aunt and I was trying to read books by Australian writers while I was there. And a wonderful publicist sent me Axiomatic by Maria Tamarkin which is an extraordinary fucking book. Oh my God. And actually it just won this huge literary prize, the, the Wyndham Campbell, if that means anything to you. It really is a phenomenal book, but as things have intensified, I've had to put it down because the way in which it's dark is too dark for me right now. It's nonfiction. And the premise is she takes apart five axioms, including time heals all wounds, history repeats itself, etc. And she uses a really smart mixture of reportage, storytelling, thinking, commentary, and meditation to break their meanings down and interrogate the role that the past plays in the present. And she uses examples of different traumas, interviews with people, her kind of internal thought processes and asides. And it's really conversational, also very intellectual and very rigorous. And in so many ways, an incredibly relevant read right now because of looking at how the politics of the present deals with crisis in a way that's informed by the politics of the past and I'm really really looking forward to having some headspace back and being able to get back into it because I think it's going to be something that uh, informs how I reflect on what's happening at the moment but right now it's yeah it's just not I'm not kind of able to to do it and that's okay right what can you do you know Um, I get that what kind of stuff are you drawn to well funnily enough actually I've been really into poetry because of the old short attention span and and really some of it very fluffy I dug out my copy of Don Marquis's Archie and Mahitabel which I I've read since I was a kid again and again and always find incredibly comforting they're poems written by Archie the cockroach to Mahitabel the black cat who he loves and they have no punctuation because he writes them by jumping up and down on the keys of a typewriter (laughs) um (laughs) And they're really sweet and funny and quite clever and, you know, a bit mordant. There's some sort of social commentary going on in there, but they're just escapist and they remind me of my of my childhood, I think. And I think I have been looking for safety or escapism. And then the other thing is I started a real to- uh, page turning thriller on the plane back from Oz called The Dry by Jane Harper. Um, and it's very dark, actually, but it's really uh yeah total page turner of a thriller 
Um, and I think that even though they can be pretty grisly and violent, thrillers are actually amazing escapist reading because they hook you. You know, you like by the end of each chapter, you, there's no way in hell you're going to put the book down <laughs> because um, you're about to discover some other nugget of desperate information. Um, so I found that really helpful. And I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back to it the weekend and finishing it and just escaping as well I think through that um what about you yeah well I don't think I'm the kind of person who looks for comfort and escapism when I'm feeling stressed and in fact in some ways I think I lean into sadness and stress in times of sadness and stress Uh, maybe not leaning into stress but leaning into heavy emotions so for instance I've been listening to a lot of sad music and I think I would much rather read a really penetrating, emotionally intense novel rather than something light about a cake shop or whatever right now. Um, <laughs> so much shade for cake through <laughs> Carrie Plitt. Well, I would fucking kill for a cake right now, my girl. Honestly. I don't know. I'm just not into the whole cake thing. Yeah. But I mean, I've never watched The Great British Bake Off, so maybe I would change my mind. Oh, after I, watching that, but... I mean, me neither. That stuff is a little bit beyond me, but I would eat a cake is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, I would eat a cake. <laughs> <laughs> no shade thrown at actual cakes. I would eat a delicious. cake, but I haven't been able to get any flour. <laughs> oh, my darling. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, I say that I don't even have a fucking cake tin. Who am I kidding? I'm barely <laughs> domesticated, but I'm trying to learn. <laughs> anyway, um, so no cake shops for Carrie no, no cake shops. Yes, cake. <laughs> Um, However, I do think that I have less of an attention span as discussed. And so I found anything that's sort of fragmented, difficult, or maybe just harder to sort of hook into. And actually, Mm -hmm. poetry kind of falls in that category for me as well, because it's like you kind of have to start over again every time. Mm, And the the stuff that seems to be working for me is, is just big absorbing novels like Euphoria that I mentioned earlier. And I think I'm going to try another novel after this, um, Cleanness by Garth Greenwell. Yeah, I'm desperate to read that. Yeah, which other people have told me is really intense and absorbing, which is exactly what I want right now. Yeah. Or maybe I'll cave and read all of Harry Potter again. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I took, like when I was reorganizing my books, I saw the box set that I had and I was like, hello, old friend. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Is it time to get you out again? I think a lot of people will be returning to their, uh, their good old HP. Is there anything that you've really wanted to avoid, though? Well, yes, I think so. I'm definitely not the kind of person who reads a nonfiction book about pandemics during a pandemic and I'm like <laughs> so fascinated that those books seem to be hitting all of the bestseller lists. I it's know. really interesting. And I and I'm actually really glad that there are people in the world who seem to want to understand in depth um the crisis that we're going through and the historical context of it and like bravo to them and I hope they can give me a short summary one day but <laughs> it's it's really not what I want right now. Yeah. Um so I am not reading those. I can see why you put down axiomatic and I could see myself also maybe struggling with that a bit that kind of intense examination of pain or illness in a time like this might be difficult and I can also say I'm not super keen to read a really depressing post-apocalyptic book like The Road for instance although if I hadn't already read Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel I think I would still want to now and I would still recommend that people read it because it is actually a very uplifting novel um and it's a book about a pandemic and and the sort of aftermath of a pandemic. But what it's really about is the power of art and um, finding hope in the midst of despair, which are some of my favorite subjects. 
Yeah, it's sitting on my shelf because I was meant to do an event with her for her latest book, which has, of course, been cancelled. And I'm really, really looking forward to reading it. Um, Though I think right now it might just give me vertigo by reminding me of all the work I've lost. (laughs) But I'm, um, oh, I mean, we're all in the same boat, you know, but I'm the same when it comes to reading about pandemics in the midst of one. Um, And like you, I'm incredibly glad that people are doing it and also would please love the summary and and would love to be educated. But I think I I can't do the self-educating bit of it, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. like I'd watch David Attenborough do a like program about it you know I think I could do that but I think I need it to be delivered to me via a a kind of surrogate parental figure that I trust basically (laughs) um but yeah I was on like David Attenborough should stay in his house right now I mean he definitely should (laughs) (laughs) David David can David do a COVID podcast from the comfort of his own home maybe protect him at all costs is is what I'm saying (laughs) protect him at all costs but yeah I was on Netflix the other night and I saw the films pandemic and quarantine were in the most popular list and I thought wow all I've managed to watch is Princess Mononoke which is a beautiful Studio Ghibli animation I we watched Princess Mononoke as well such a beautiful film it's so good yeah it's wonderful But yeah, I'd say I'm also not up to reading any critical theory at the moment, which demands too much from me when I haven't got a full tank. I actually, I saw Slavoj Žižek has already managed to publish a book about COVID-19 and I thought, good for you, buddy, but also, <laughs> come on. <laughs> oh, he's just such a parody of himself at he this point. Really he really is. And the it's, way it's that they're like, embarrassing. the machine of the industry cranks into action around him, you know, talk about privilege. It's pretty wild. But I also wanted to ask you, actually, if you have any tips for people or if we could think about any tips for people who are struggling to read because of stress, but would like to find a way back into it. Sure. Um, well, the things that have really helped me are put, just putting my phone in another room. Yeah, in um, the bin. Because, yeah, <laughs> just stomping on it. Because otherwise I just feel like I want to check it all the time. Mm, yeah. And um. And so just literally placing it in another room, charging and going into the bedroom or downstairs to the couch and reading has given me the time and space. And also just setting a time for reading has really helped me where I'm like, okay, for the next hour, I'm going to be reading this book. And again, maybe that's my overscheduling of of my life but that was what got me into this novel finally yeah I think that's a great idea I mean I've seen quite a lot of psychologists popping up on you know the newspaper sites and stuff talking about managing anxiety and saying you know set aside an hour to be anxious and consume all the anxious things and then leave it alone for the rest of the day but I feel like you can use that model to apply to escapism as well and you, you know if if you're finding it hard to allow yourself that break throughout the day then set some setting some time where you're like I'm going to switch everything off and just escape into whatever it is but you know maybe a book um, that might work as well and then once you're drawn in and then the book manages to work its magic on you a little bit it might be easier I mean I also think writers who are really direct and straight talking um, a good in in moments like this like Deborah Levy's nonfiction, because she it's like a conversation um she's really the cost of living yeah the cost of living or things I don't want to know she just it's like she takes you by the hand at the beginning and it's like come in for a cup of tea sit down I'm going to tell you some things you know (laughs) which is kind of um 
yeah, what I want, I guess I'm, I guess what I'm saying is I want people to tell me what to do, <laughs> tell me what to eat and what to think. No, I will schedule your day for you if you would like. I mean, that would make me so happy. I would love that. Um, you just did the flea bag speech, by the way. Oh my God, I did. I don't love a priest though. I do- Actually, I lie. I do love a priest. There is a priest on the internet who was filming a mass in Italy and he accidentally put um, the filters on his phone. And so he's filming this mass and he's being like dressed up in like sparkly glitter and then uh, sunglasses and a hat. And it's absolutely exquisite. So maybe, maybe I am Fleabag. Yeah, I think leaving leaving your room, your phone in another room is a great idea. I think also audiobooks are great at the moment mm. because you can stick it on and potter around and get on with whatever you're doing, preparing your lunch or cleaning your house or, you know, just staring at the wall. But it it's quite nice because someone else is doing the heavy lifting for you in some ways. And also, obviously, it's very easy to access when you're not allowed to go to bookshops and if local bookshops are struggling to get books out for the moment, then yeah, Audible is great. And you can find pretty much a- anything on there. And mm. often authors reading their own work, which is such a treat. If you're looking for something, I know I say this all the time on the show, but if you're looking for one to get you into it, Patty Smith reading Just Kids is a joy, just a joy, and might be a helpful, helpful hook. Yeah, definitely. My other tip is that if something isn't working for you, and this is a tip for reading generally, but maybe even more so, just give up on it. Oh, yeah, I did that with sure. a book and it was incredibly liberating. And I think we just need to find what's working for us right now and not feel guilty about what we can or can't do. Absolutely. And you may go back to it and you may not. And that's also fine. You know, you don't owe a book anything really. Which book was it? It will go unnamed. <laughs> You're such a tease. <laughs> My final thing is also um, reading to friends uh, is really lovely over the phone, you know, not whole chapters or anything. But, you know, if you read something and find a bit that makes you laugh or makes you feel something, it's such a nice thing to do or sharing on social media like, you know, Jennifer Hodgson sharing that little extract from Adam Phillips that I read in the, at the top of the show. That was uh, it came across my it came you know on my feed in a moment that was really helpful um and I've been very grateful to people sharing just little poems and snippets of literature by social media so yeah that's a wonderful thing to do as well I guess my last question is you know there have been an endless stream wow that was a very essay sentence sorry (laughs) there's been an endless stream of uh lists popping up everywhere you know what to read in quarantine and all of that and you know what do you think about them um I guess we're kind of doing one though. I know. One of those yeah, right yeah. Now. <laughs> I I don't have I don't have such a big problem with these lists. I great that people want to write them. Um, I hope they're being paid to write them. Great that other people want to read them, but I can't say I've paid all that much attention to them. Uh, I feel like these lists are either engaging with books that are directly relevant to our times, and as discussed, you know, I'm not maybe not totally ready to read that kind of thing, or books that maybe the people writing the list think is what escapist literature is which is not actually how I myself define escapist literature and so I don't find them that helpful and also I get my book recommendations from friends anyway 
Yeah. So great that they're there, but I'm I'm just not really paying attention. Yeah, I agree. I bookmarked a ton of them and then found I just haven't really engaged with them. I think you reach a saturation point, but I think also actually the point you just made is is kind of hitting the nail on the head because what counts as escapist literature is so subjective, actually. Um, and we don't all find um, really comforting books about dogs or cake shops escapist, you know? Yeah, um, so I don't I, want to read a book about a dog right now. No. I mean, a dog could be in the book, I guess, but oh, you would I'm not looking for Marley and me. A dog in the book. <laughs> Harry Pitt <laughs> will permit a supporting role played by a dog, <laughs> but no protagonist. No, no. protagonists. Um, no, I, I think fair. I think totally fair. Yeah, escapism is is subjective. Great. Well, I think we nailed that down, don't you? <laughs> yep. Listen to our recommendations, everyone. That's right. We'll be back in a second with our cultural recommendations. Lead me to my own devices. It's better when your Coca-Cola eyes are out of my face. I checked your phone and no surprise. Hello. Welcome back to Literary Friction. It's Octavia and Carrie back here at your service to give you our general cultural recommendations so we're going to tell you some stuff that we have enjoyed lately that's not reading but we're going to keep it all strictly accessible from the home one way or another (laughs) considering that no one can go anywhere um so carrie what's been getting you going lately well i imagine like everyone else i've been watching a lot of films lately and those are giving me joy I mean, the first thing is that after rejecting mobster movies for years, uh, (laughs) I have now seen a lot of them. I've seen The Godfather, The Godfather Part 2, Goodfellas, and Heat all in the space of less than a month. You've gone deep. And and they're so great, Octavia. Yeah, they're so great. I love all of those movies. They are absolutely fabulous. And Robert De Niro can really act. Yeah, that guy's got some talent. Have you seen He's actually good. Have you seen Scarface yet? I haven't. I feel like that's like B-level mobster movie. Ouch. Well, I haven't seen it, but is that not true? I think it's an amazing film. Um, okay. It's very, like, it's more silly and glitzy, but it's still fucking great. If you're in that groove, I would recommend it. Okay. But well, that burn it, cut me I'll deep. And I don't know where to put myself <laughs> now. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, I feel like it's one of those movies that you have to see all the great ones to kind of understand where Scarface uh, is coming from. Maybe for mobster movies and thinks she's a fucking connoisseur (laughs) okay i'm sorry i take it all back i take it all back well luckily my actual recommendation is not a mobster movie because i didn't want people to get too freaked out so i'm returning to form and saying the film i genuinely enjoyed the most recently was portrait of a lady on fire oh i'm desperate to see that you're gonna love it octavia it's yeah, it's just lush and beautiful and so smart. And just to explain for anyone who doesn't know, it's a French film written and directed by Celine Sciamma. Um, It's a historical drama set in Brittany in the mid-18th century about a love affair between a young woman betrothed to a Milanese nobleman and the woman who's hired to paint her portrait. And, oh God, it's so beautiful. It's a very slow film. You know, there are a lot of lingering glances. There isn't very much music. There isn't very much plot. But it is just it's one of those movies that kind of simmers Mm, underneath the surface and there's so much longing and there's so much sexiness and it's also very clever. It's, it's about looking and being seen and being a subject and being an object in a way that I think 
a lesser film, it would just feel too on the nose, but this somehow pulls it off. And I was desperate to see it in theaters, but it came out right around the time everything was shutting down. And I didn't, didn't get the chance and I was so bereft, but it's $9.99 on Curzon Home to rent. That's amazing. Which I would really recommend to anyone in the UK. And I I just, I think it's a brilliant. Also, there's this scene on a beach with all of these like women singing this really haunting witchy folk song around a bonfire and I can't stop listening to the song on Spotify oh wow yeah I saw the trailer and thought I want to watch it in fact I feel like it was maybe on the airplane and I was like are you kidding me who's gonna like don't watch a film like this on a plane (laughs) I would watch a film like that on the plane would you though but I would just want to see it on a real screen like you said like not necessarily in theaters but on that tiny little I find watching movies on planes quite frustrating to be honest I tend to just watch junk um because I'm so highly emotional I will weep at anything me too but that's what I like about it like even if it's on that tiny screen I get so absorbed Mm. in the films that I sort of don't mind I I've had some of the most intense experiences with films I've ever had just on a plane yeah so I will often watch those films interesting I find myself I just get frustrated by that little led screen um but I I do I do have very but when I say I have intense intense relationships with films on plane I mean like I think I watched Cars 2 on a plane and wept so My um, that is a beautiful recommendation. My first recommendation is much less beautiful, but it's because of you. You got me mm. onto BoJack Horseman. That is not less beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful in a different way. Yeah. Um, I've already watched the whole thing. I've watched all six series, Carrie, and um, it was. <laughs> I'm so I'm so delighted by that. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. It was totally yes. brilliant, and actually the perfect um, thing for an anxious brain at the moment because it it's sort of about anxiety and discomfort but it's also very funny and light and it was yeah just just banging and you know I remember what you saying when you first recommended it on the show that it's funny uh, but some of the jokes build incredibly slowly over this different series and then the payoff is incredibly satisfying which is absolutely bang on but it's also just this really tender look at addiction and intimacy and friendship and a lot of the fears that all human beings share and that go along you know the frustrations that go along with being a human being but it's also just it's very fucking stylish and one of my favorite things in it was this this great motif that runs through which is famous human artworks from the real world but replaced by animals because it's in this world there are some humans and there are some animals as humans and you know go with it so there's like Manet's very famous painting, Olympia, which is from, I think, the 19th century of a very, it's quite a well-known image, um, which I think most most of you guys would recognize, but it's of a very pale-skinned sex worker and um, and her maid, and it's quite a challenging image. And in Bojack, it's the same image, but they're cats. And it's just, I don't know, maybe it doesn't sound so good in the description, but I promise you it's brilliant. And it comes up again and again and again. Um, yeah. And there are yeah. so many great visual gags related so to many. the animals as well. Exactly. And and it's the kind of thing you could freeze frame every scene and find something new. Totally. Um, it's yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's so, so smart. Um, so yeah, 
heavy, heavy, hef- well, what am I trying to say? Heftily supported recommendation from Carrie Plitt there by me. Um, and then um, as I wanted to mention, I mean, this isn't something that anyone can go and see right now, but I want to talk about it because it was a really uplifting thing. When I was in Sydney, I spent a really wonderful afternoon at the Gallery of New South Wales, where the Sydney Biennale was about to open. I think it's like the 22nd Biennale there. And I want to mention it because it felt like it was trying to do something really exciting that I think that this moment of global crisis will hopefully encourage or support happening in general. I don't know. That's my hope anyway, that that, that this moment of complete madness is going to lead us to some kind of new world order. And this this experience in this gallery just felt like it could have been a little twinkle of something. So the Biennale is a huge thing and it happens across lots of different galleries and obviously it's all shut down for the time being. And so I only saw this small part of it, but the main point is that it's artist-led and it's First Nations-led. And the emphasis of the whole thing this year is connecting local communities and global networks. The artistic director is a man called Brooke Andrew, who's one of Australia's most distinguished artists. And it's titled Nirin after a word from his mother's nation, the weird jury people of Western New South Wales. Um, and it's a word that means edge. So it brings together artists, thinkers, scientists, makers from everywhere in the world uh, to challenge dominant narratives and share indigenous knowledge. And it was truly spectacular to see this work interrupting the space of the classical art gallery. Um, and these pieces, some of them were video, some of them were painting, some sculptural, and they were just displayed in and amongst the work of the 19th century European artists that we're so used to seeing in those spaces. And it was electric for me, you know, it was very exciting and it made me hopeful about the future of those kinds of places becoming more democratic, less elitist, less white, less colonial. And to see this kind of clash between art that is totally related to a violent colonial history and then work by First Nation artists, resp- not not even responding to it, but just being in the dynamic, creating this conversation was yeah, it was very cool. Um, and I'd really recommend checking it out online. And if you're looking for things to keep your spirits up for when, you know, all the rules are relaxed again. And if you're in Australia, then check it out. Um, Sounds great. Yeah, it's just exciting. It was it was energizing, you know, um, which I could do with a bit more of at the moment. What's your next one, Carrie? Well, my next one is something I have also watched because that's what I've been doing. Um, But in terms of TV, I have really enjoyed watching the last season of The Good Place. It's the fourth and final season. It's now on Netflix in the UK. I'm not really sure about the rest of the world. But I do think the third season of the show lost its way a bit. But the last one really, really stuck the landing, in my opinion, partially because it returned back to its roots of being about moral philosophy and the sticky question of what it actually means to be a good person, but also whether humans are capable of change and getting better and becoming good and what goodness means. And doing that in an incredibly funny, light way as well. There were a few out of control sappy bits that (laughs) felt very network TV that made me cringe a little bit. But other than that, I, I really loved it and it felt like a balm right now and um and if you watch the third season weren't so sure take my recommendation to to watch the fourth season please that's a show i have never been able to get into and i really really wanted to because i thought you know moral philosophy wicked that's my jam but 
Yeah, I just found it too uh, shiny and chirpy in the first season. I know it's doing lots of clever, reflective things about all of that, but it was just too jarring for me, I think, sadly. Yeah, I can understand that. It is quite shiny and chirpy, Mm. um, but I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's something, one day maybe I'll manage it. Maybe quarantine is the time. (laughs) I don't know. I think um, do what do what makes you happy. Yeah, that's true. Well, I can tell you a thing that I watched also when I was in when I was in Sydney because that was the last time I was outside. I went to a really cute independent cinema and saw a wild film from the seventies, uh, which I'm sure you can find online called Three Women, um, directed by Robert Altman, and. I really, really recommend seeking it out if you fancy a couple of hours of incredibly freaky brilliance. It's a young Sissy Spacek and Shelley Duvall playing two young women in a dusty Californian desert town who work at a local health spa for the elderly and become roommates. And their relationship gets gradually weirder and more mystical. And they get tangled up with the couple who own the apartment complex they live in, especially the wife, Willie, who is a silent and mysterious pregnant woman who paints incredibly unsettling murals on everything including the swimming pool. Plot-wise, I'm not going to say more than that, but it's about identity and enmeshment and the sticky, complicated way people can fall for each other, platonically or not. And apparently the idea for it came to Altman in a dream, which makes makes sense because it's super, super surreal and dreamlike. But the filming is just gorgeous and the setting, everything. It's real, it's real escapist stuff. And also just a fabulous 70s set piece. I mean, the outfits, oh my God. (laughs) It's perfect. Yeah, really sounds very you as well. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as you said freaky brilliance, I was like, okay. Okay, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it sounds great. It is really for that recommendation. Um, Uh, you, You got anything else? Well, my final recommendation is just that I've been listening to a lot more music while working from home, and that has been really wonderful. And as part of that, I've been revisiting some of my favorite choral pieces, which have been a great comfort, and it's been really wonderful to re-experience them. So may I recommend to anyone who's interested in listening to some choral pieces, um, and you know, these are really obvious ones, so I'm sorry to all the the choral buffs out there who I'm, I'm sure already know about these, but Rachmaninoff's Vespers, which are just amazing. It's this all night vigil to, that's just for an acapella choir. And it's just amazing. The foray and the Durafle Requiems are just transcendent and beautiful pieces of music. The song O Monium Mysterium by Tomas Luis de Victoria. Um, that is one of the favorite choral pieces I've ever sung. We sang it in high school and I still think about it um, and sing it to myself all the time. Uh, and then as a completely different thing, I rediscovered the song Cranes in the Sky by Solange. Oh, it's so good. And it's so good. And she, it's, a, I think it's a masterpiece yeah. and I just love her. And it's, I think it feels very appropriate for this moment. So I'd recommend yeah. that other listeners revisit that as well that's a really great point i love that you've been listening to choral pieces i've been listening to benny goodman and groove armada (laughs) (laughs) that's it just benny goodman and groove armada those are my two modes right now (laughs) i love it (laughs) do what works yeah that's right that's all the time we have for today big thanks to the internet our stay at home microphones and to eddie knight for editing and music 
Literary Friction is available as a podcast to download on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and to stream on nts.live. You can check us out on Twitter and Instagram. You can also get in touch with us on email, litfriction at gmail.com. Please keep getting in touch. We love hearing from you, especially now. Yeah, we do. We want to know how you are. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a full show. Fingers crossed talking to the fabulous writer Jenny Offal if we can get it set up over the internet. So until then, I'm Octavia Bright with the inimitable Carrie Plitt. And this is Literary Friction. Tough guy from so tight